Let's pray. We'll dive into the word. Lord, we're grateful for all that you are doing through us, through your church. We pray, Father, this morning that as Mary opens up your word, pray that you would fill her with your mighty Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us this morning. I'm so grateful for your promises that are yes and amen. And so we yield this time to you and ask that you would bless Mary. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Cypress Creek Church, for the opportunity to be here. It is always a privilege. And especially great that I'm the second in a series because Jose did such a great job last week kind of introducing us to the book of Luke. And specifically, he talked about some specifics about the man and the manuscript, which I found fascinating. So I dug a little deeper into that, and so I wanted to start there with you. Um, Last week, Jose talked about how Luke was a physician and that he was not an eyewitness to the things that he wrote about, but he interviewed eyewitnesses and that he says in the word he wanted to make an orderly account Right, So he, he just did a great job of that. So as I was studying Luke, I found a few more things about Luke I thought maybe you might be interested in. Luke is the only Gentile author in the New Testament. He's also the only one who does the foretelling of the conception of John the Baptist, the only one who does the foretelling of the conception of Jesus. He talks about the circumcision of Jesus, how Jesus um, perspired blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He also talks about Jesus' miracle of reattaching the ear of the servant of the high priest the night he was arrested. So those are all things that are only found in the Gospel of Luke. And then we have Luke 9.51 through um, 19.27. That is a very large block of text, much of which is red letter, if you have a red letter Bible. So that is also only uh, recorded in the book of Luke. So I just have to tell you, I'm... I'm so grateful for Luke, and I thank God that he included him to give us the details of his word. And I hope that you will read through the book of Luke um, even after the Christmas season. So I, I love that. So that's, that's where Jose, one of the things that Jose brought to us. So this, uh, today, we're going to be talking about the foretelling of this conception of Jesus, and it's in Luke 1, 26 through 38. And I'm gonna read it for you. If you have it in your Bible, I read from the NIV. So it'll be up here on the screen for you. And it says, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God will give him the thrones of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. 
for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Isn't that a beautiful story? Beautiful story. So today we are going to look at four things. They were in red up there. But there are four aspects of this story paralleled with the story that Jose um, spoke to us last week about Angel Gabriel and Zechariah. And so there's four things that we're going to look at and specifically about how something may seem insignificant or something may seem significant and how we look at that. And I will challenge you to think that even in the insignificant, in God's hands, it becomes significant. So let's look first at the location. Last week, we talked about Zechariah being in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city. It was the hub of commerce. It was the hubbub. It was like downtown Dallas, downtown Austin, downtown Denver. It was a big city. And so it had about 70 to 80,000 people at the time. Is that what they said? So we are comparing that with Nazareth, about 60 miles north, had about 400 people. 70 to 80,000, four to 500. Nazareth looks like an insignificant town, doesn't it? Okay, so we look at John 1, 46, and you might remember this story. Philip, one of the first apostles, he had met Jesus and believed, and he went back to get his brother, Nathaniel. And he went back to get Nathaniel and said, you've got to meet this guy. We have found the Messiah. Come, I need to tell you about him. I want you to, inter to introduce you to him. And along the way, he said, and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel in scripture just stopped. And with an exclamation on the backside, it says, Nazareth? Has anything good come out of Nazareth? That was not only his opinion of the city, but the whole area of Galilee, okay? So sometimes we look at an insignificant place, but significant things can come out of it. I have a little story I have to ask. Has anybody ever been through Dumas, Texas? Oh, okay, you noticed I used the word through. Okay, so here we go. <clears throat> Paul Dunn, my husband, who was sitting right up here at the first service, um, <clears throat> he and I used to live part-time in Whitefish, Montana. So we would go from Wimberley, Texas to Whitefish, Montana multiple times a year. And up through the panhandle, you have Dumas, Texas. Okay, very similar to Nazareth. Okay, with the exception that there's a lot of John Deere equipment there, you know, and actually Nazareth was an agrarian community as well. So anyway, <clears throat> so you go through Dumas. We had never intended to ever stop in Dumas because Dumas has maybe one motel-ish Maybe one or two restaurants, if you include the gas station, probably three where you can get a snack, and that's ish. Ish meaning you may or may not want to stop there. Okay, so there's just not much there. But it does have one big thing, one huge thing. I see some head shaking. I am not the only one, right? Huge. It has a speed trap, okay? Because in... As you approach Dumas at 70 miles an hour from right here, you've got to be at 35 miles an hour at the back doors of this sanctuary. 
So Dumas wasn't a significant town to us until it became a significant <laughs> town to us. And so anyway, during first service, I have to tell you, like I said, my husband was sitting right over here and about a dozen heads did this. It was kind of a slow roll over to Paul Dunn. And I suspected that they were thinking one of two things, or maybe both. One, were you driving? <laughs> two, did you know she was going to tell this story? <laughs> okay, so the answer is yes and yes, and that's not the point of the story. Okay, the point of the story is that we see something that appears insignificant until it becomes significant. God used Jerusalem, a significant city, when he spoke to Zechariah and foretold the conception of his son, John the Baptist. He also used the insignificant city, Nazareth, to foretell the conception of the most significant man who would ever walk the face of the earth. So how does this apply to us? I guess my question would be, some of us have lived in a very significant town, or city, and maybe some of y'all are thinking Wembley isn't all that significant. But here's the point. Your location, my location, our location, does nothing to change the plan of God. He uses the significant places and the insignificant places for his perfect plan. So we need to discard our view of our location. If you are here and you are breathing, you are part of God's plan. And he can find you wherever you are, even in Dumas. <laughs> okay, so location doesn't impact God's plan. Let's look at position. Jose talked to us last week about how um, Zechariah was a priest, right, in, in the temple. And a priest was a big deal. I mean, he had to have education. He had to have, um, you know, he had power, position. As a priest, he had influence. Jose talked about the fact that he was burning incense. That was like a big deal. You got that opportunity once in a lifetime. So he had a lot of position, right? He had age, you know? I mean, we hope something happens as we grow old. We get wisdom, right? So he had, he had wisdom. And this week, we looked at the angel Gabriel showing up in Nazareth talking to Mary. So we had a priest in Jerusalem and we have a peasant in Nazareth. And what did she have? Power, position, influence, education, experience in life. Authors tell us that she was somewhere between 13 and 15 years old. So this was looked really insignificant. And yet God used the significant and what we think is the insignificant. Position is one of those strange things that we look at from the outside and then we look at from the inside. So let's talk about some of the things that we may look at from the outside. And I'm going to propose to you that God does not find a lot of significance in these things. And I will also tell you that while I was researching this and writing this, God stepped on my toes. So if you're feeling a little pressure, you're in good company. I'm going to propose that God's not interested in whether you have a PhD 
or a GED. He's not interested in your tax bracket, your account balance, your social status, the size house you live in, the kind of car you drive, your social media following. It's insignificant. In his plan, it is insignificant. Those are the things, examples of things from the outside. We can all put other examples on that. From the inside, this is what we do. We say things like when somebody asks us to come in service to the Lord, when the Lord taps us on the shoulder and says, I would like you to step forward into this position, this is what we say. We say things like, well, you know, I would, but um, I can't do that because I've never taken any seminary classes. Well, I really have, I can't do that because I've never read the Bible actually cover to cover. Well, I can't do that because I'm single. Or I'm married. I can't do that because I'm a widow. I don't qualify because I've been divorced. We come up with every possible reason to step back from God's plan in our life. I, I'm an expert at this. Um, and last week, I tried a new one. La two weeks ago, actually. So two weeks ago, I was asked to, um, to be in service to the Lord. And all kinds of things were going through my mind, right? It was right before Thanksgiving, and, you know, family was coming into town, and I didn't know how much time I was going to have. And most of y'all don't know me very well, but trust me, you know, in my mind, I was like, what if I'm called upon to heat something up? <laughs> you know, it's like... Um, so I had all kinds of reasons. And so this was my response. You know, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity, but that's not going to work for my schedule or my calendar. That's why I said that's not going to work for my calendar. And so this very discerning person who I gave that answer to actually called me back and, and very graciously, very graciously said, so listen, do you mind if I poke on that calendar thing for a minute? <laughs> Y'all, that was my only plan. That was plan A and there was no plan B. <laughs> so consider yourself warned, right? When we try things like that, it, it, it doesn't serve God. And let me just tell you something else. And this is gonna, so here's the thing. Like I said, if you're here, if you're breathing, God has a plan for you and his plan and your life. And here's the bottom line. You have the ability to say no. We have the will. God gave us free will. You can say no. You don't lose your salvation, okay? You're still in the family. You're still on the team, but make no mistake, you're also on the bench. Until you say yes, or at least until you say, I'm willing, you are not in the game. And the only way, the only way that you are going to have, see, and feel full fulfillment in God's plan is to be in the game. We must stop using excuses. We must stop using excuses for being part of God's plan. I wish we could marinate in this for more than one hot second, but we have to move on. So we talked about location, doesn't affect God's plan. We talked about position, doesn't affect God's plan. Now we're moving on to questions. So 
Mary um, had questions, and so did Zachariah. Let's look at Zachariah's question first. Zachariah said, how can I be sure of this? Now, backtrack for a minute. The angel Gabriel had given him details on what was going to happen, that they were going to have a baby. This is what John the Baptist, his name was going to be. We're talking details. And Zachariah said, how can I be sure? That is code for, I'm going to need proof. I don't see it. And we have to be careful that we don't read tone into scripture, right? So maybe you say, well, Mary, I mean, you need to give him a break. Maybe he said it like this. How can I be sure of this? Because I'm old and my wife's old too. I'll tell you how you can be sure. You look at the next scripture and through the will of God, Gabriel zipped his lip and he didn't speak for nine months. And God knew the motive behind that. And God knew that that was not a humble petition for faith building. That was not a humble petition. But let's look at this. His question did not deter God's promise. Our questions do not deter God's promise. Then we look at Mary's question. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And in that question, Gabriel graciously steps forward and says, gives her the who and the how. Says the Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So we know that that question was asked in faith and humility. Okay, so Mary was given detailed information, just like Zechariah. And she looked at it and said, this is what he, you say is going to happen. And this is who I am. She presents back a fact to Gabriel. I'm a virgin. And so what she's saying is, here's what you're saying, and here's who I am, and I see a gap. And Gabriel said, okay, so let me fill in that gap. Now, after he says this, I don't know about y'all, but um, I think I would still have some questions because, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit and the shadow of the Most High, I still have some questions like, so exactly how that's going to happen and when's it going to happen and do I need to check my calendar? And... <laughs> You know, I still have questions. And she probably still had questions. But Gabriel was even gracious there through the will of God. He says, Mary, in verse 36, nothing is impossible with God. So this is where in our life, God says, I'd like you to step up and step into the game. I'm gonna use you in my plan. And you say, okay, but that sounds like a big plan and I'm not qualified, I'm not capable, I'm not resourceful. You know, you do the whole I'm not thing. And he says, listen, while you're doing all those I, 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 I'm over here saying, this is my plan. And if it's God's plan, he does the lion's share of the work. And then he helps you do your part because we all have a part, Right? So, so God says, I got this. My plan, I got this. You have a part, no question. Just asking you to play your part. Nothing is impossible with God. So y'all, we have a lot of questions and, and there's nothing wrong with questions. And we wrap our questions in prayer 
I'm sure some of us have done this. Um, We say things like, Lord, how long? How long till you bring me somebody that I can spend the rest of my life with? You know, I hope singleness is not the end for me. We say, Lord, how long till you bless us with a child? How long? You know, can we do this now? Will I ever have a child? We, we wrap questions. I hate my job. I want a new job. I want a job that, you know, still supports my family, but this job is not who I am. How many more interviews do I have to go through? Lord, how long? We have lots of questions. And you need to bring your questions to the Lord. He's fine with questions. We do get a little hint about which ones he prefers, but questions are great. Questions do not deter God's promises. Questions do not deter God's promises. So let's go on to uh, responses. Um, And let me say one more thing about, about questions. Before we leave, Zachariah most likely prayed for decades. Okay, Zachariah most likely prayed for decades. So if you're not getting an immediate answer, you need to know this, that in God's silence, he is neither absent or indifferent. You know, y'all, I need to hear that again. In God's silence, he is neither absent nor indifferent. Last week when Hosea talked about, you know, when we came out of the um, series of Malachi, you know, after Malachi, he basically shut off the lights, closed the door, and God was silent for 400 years. And some people would like to believe that he did nothing. But that's not true. He was getting the right people in the right place for his perfect plan. And that's what we're seeing in these scriptures. So bring your questions. They don't deter God's promises. So let's move on to um, responses. And this section was interesting because obviously Zechariah is on the bench, so to speak. You know, he got zipped up, so we have no response from him, which is probably best based on what we saw last week. But what we do is we pivot to Elizabeth and Mary. First, Mary gives a quick response in verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. So that's full on faith and confidence. That's Mary's response. Then we see she went to Elizabeth and visited with her, stayed for her for several months. And during that time, when Mary entered Elizabeth's house, it says Elizabeth heard her greeting and John the Baptist, her baby, leapt in her womb. I love to believe that that's the first time John the Baptist said, I see you, Jesus. He knew who it was. And then it says that the Holy Spirit came upon Elizabeth. And we know that because of the next scripture. She says, why am I so highly favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The Holy Spirit revealed to her that she was standing in the presence of the Lord. And then Elizabeth says, blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. She believed and she trusted. That's Elizabeth. So then in the next 10 verses um, from Luke 1, 45 to 55, there's 10 verses. It's called the Magnificent. It's the 
it's a Latin term for magnify. In many um, versions of the Bible, it uses the word glorify. And then NIV, it says, my soul glorifies the Lord. But this is Mary's song. And it can be divided into three parts, if you will, of responses, three types of responses. And the first one in verse uh, 46 says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. This is Mary praising the Lord in her current circumstance. And she says, your servant in my humble state. Now that could mean she could be referring to Nazareth, a humble you know, city. But she also could be saying in my humble state, I brought nothing to the table. I showed up and you showed me favor. That's mercy. That's grace. You showed me favor. She said, I, I showed up with nothing. And so she is praising God in her current circumstance. Do we do that? Then she goes on in verse 50, from 48 to 50, she says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Now she's looking future forward and she's saying, everybody who fears the Lord, he will show mercy from generation to generation. She's praising God for what he will do. Many scholars believe that this includes us, the Gentiles. For anyone who fears him, the Jew and the Gentile, from generation to generation. So she's praising future forward for what she trusts God to do. And then she goes backwards. She reaches back in verse 54. She says, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to his fathers. So this is reaching back, all the way back to Abraham and the promises that God made to Abraham. So she's praising God for his past work. So this is praising for remembering what he has done. All of us have an opportunity to reach back and praise God for what he's done. We see his promises in our life. He is a promise keeper. And so these responses, what do these responses reveal to us? They reveal their heart condition. Our responses reveal our heart condition. So let's look at the view from our view versus God's view. It's a little bit of a summary. So we talked about location and that how our location does not change God's plan. We talked about our position and how it does not impact God's plan. And I'd like you to look at it this way. Here's Zachariah, you know, powerful and, and influential and all that. And then we have, and looks significant. And we have Mary, who doesn't have power, you know, influence and all that kind of stuff. Just on this spectrum, in your own mind, think about his apostles. Think about the original disciples. Where do you think they are on this spectrum? We got a bunch of fishermen. Up here? Probably not. So our position is of no significance. God uses the entire spectrum. That includes you. That includes me. With no ands, no ifs, and no buts. And the only thing that we have to do is step forward and say, I will. If you ask, I will. 
So that's about position. Then our questions. We saw that our questions do not deter his promises. You know, he's very clear about some that he likes better than others, as Jose said last week. We don't see him zipping us up for nine months at a time. But I believe that there are consequences. It may not be that, but there are consequences. And so we ask our questions with faith. And then our responses. Our responses reveal our heart condition. As I was studying for this, um, I wrote myself some questions and they're going to be up here in a minute. And these are some questions that I'm sharing with you to maybe they'll help you in applying this. Am I willing to surrender my perspective of my location to God's plan? Am I willing to be available to God in my current position? What faith-building question am I willing to trust God for? And finally, what song of praise can I write in this season of my life? Y'all, if you have any question about how significant you are, and you are, and you are, every seat in this house, every heart in this house, if you have any question about how significant you are to God, let's review his plan. His plan included the details of John the Baptist being born to point to the Messiah. His plan included the details of a Messiah being born in an insignificant town to become the most significant human God to ever walk the planet. And through his death and resurrection, he invites us into the way back to the Father. Jesus paved the way for our return to God. And he wants to use every single one of us in his plan. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you just convict the hearts of everyone here as you've convicted mine, Father not only to listen carefully to what you'd have me to do, but to just to leave behind all my excuses and all my perceptions of what my position is and what it's not and say yes. Father, take me off of the bench. I want to be in the game and I want to do it for your glory.